The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Hello, and welcome to Lucas Lectures, hosted by the big fish himself, veteran Lucas. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's topic. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Lucas Lectures. It is me, Veteran Lucas. Hope you guys are having a fantastic day or night whenever you are hearing this. On today's lecture, we got another fan request. So on our iTunes, we always go through some of those because I'll be honest, out of all the podcast sites, they give us the most in-depth reviews so people can write whatever they feel about us, like or hate. Thankfully, a lot of you guys really like us. And one person wrote a really interesting request that I just had to do. I had to look at it because it gave me such a headache. So someone decided to ask us a question about typing. Specifically, how would labeling a type work? And how would you even discover a new type? Like in the condition of like a fairy type, steel or dark type. How do you just find a new type out of nowhere? And is that even possible in our world? That is a pretty cool topic, and that's what I kind of wanted to go over because there's a lot of science that goes into finding out what an organism is and where it belongs in our group. Uh, so today, we will be talking about how these groups are formed in our world, how they can be translated into the Pokemon world, and we'll also talk about how a new type could be discovered or how it could be relabeled when new data is presented. So it's going to be a bit more in-depth on the harder sciences, so I'm not going to get all as whimsical, but it is a good history lesson on just how important uh, identifying an organism is. And you get to see me have a mild rant or two, which, you know, it's just, just kind of fun. So before we even begin, we do have to classify classification. Classifying living things is a science called taxonomy. It uses the Greek words for arrangement and method. These are the people who got into biology and got really into organizing stuff. If you're that person who likes to have everything in its one little place, everything just perfectly set, like when you open your kitchen counters, you have all the spoons and everything like in the right spot, as opposed to me, who just has the pile of cutlery. That's your science. That's what you guys want. Humans have a major love for organizing stuff. We've been doing it as long as we can remember. It helps our memories work. We like to have things in a set group that we can understand because it makes our world easier. This is not an inherently good thing or a bad thing. This is just something that we do as our behavior. How we organize those objects can differ from person to person. So in science, it really does help to have that unified way of defining an organism. The modern science of taxonomy kind of started in the mid-1700s by Carl Linnaeus. Hang on, we're going to try that again. Carl Linnaeus of Sweden. When he published his work, there were just two kingdoms, Vegetablia and Animalia. And that's pretty much all he had at that time. Even before that time, people had tried classifying different things, but there wasn't really a hard science to it. There were just people putting things together that kind of looked the same or kind of acted the same without really putting care into the details of it because they didn't really know the details of it. As far as they were concerned, a whale lived in the ocean. It was a big fish. Why? What else could it be? It was living in the ocean with all the other fish and it swam kind of like a fish. So yeah, giant fish, cool beans. But as time went on, 
more and more discoveries and more scientists from across the world, mainly from Europe and America, including Darwin's theory of evolution, started planting roots into the idea of maybe life is a bit more complex. They started adding more groups. They started adding protista. They started adding the mushrooms away from the vegetables. They started making more and more and more and more detailed lists in order to define what life was and how you could categorize every living thing on Earth. Today, we have set groups for every living thing on Earth. So the groups have different names, and they go from most exclusives to least exclusive. You've probably heard of these, so I'll go through them quick. You have domain. Kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species, and strain. We're going to ignore strain for now because we're not really talking about bacteria. But to give you guys a more realistic example, let's look at the common dog. So the common dog, again, that's its name, dog. The common name can change uh, if you go somewhere else. If you go to Port uh, Brazil, cachorro, just dog. You can't really use a common name to determine anything. But if we go through the scientific way of doing it, Maybe we can. So its domain is it's with the eukaryotes, meaning they have a cell with nucleus and organelles. So that's a good thing to know. Kingdom animalia. So we know they're multicellular, and we know they aren't plants, fungi, protists, or monera. Uh, next up, their phyla is chordata. So that means that they have a backbone. Their class, mammalia. So we know it has hair and produces milk. The order, carnivora which most of the meat eaters on land will go. There are a couple of offshoots for different reasons. Family, Canidae, where they get to have those dog-like features. Uh, next up, the genus, Canis, even more specific dog-like traits, mainly closer to wolves. And then you have the species Familiaris, leaving us with the one individual species that we have. There can also be subspecies too, but we're not going to get too into that one. Now, we do this with just about every living thing that we know of today. I want you to think about every living thing that's ever been categorized by a scientist or a group of scientists. It has to use that method in order to get a good idea of what you're dealing with and where it fits and where it belongs. By knowing where it belongs, we can do so much more with it. Now, let's say you're going out on a walk and you decide to uh, turn over a log and you discover a brand new species. Doesn't matter what. You just want to describe it, and you want to get it out there. Uh, to discover that new organism, uh, you have to do a couple of things in order to get it fully recognized. Uh, number one, you have to give it a Latin name. The reason all the scientific names are in Latin is because it's a dead language. Nobody has an advantage. If you does it in English, then all the English speakers have an advantage. If you did it in Chinese, then only Chinese people really understand it. Latin being a dead language makes it much, much easier for most people, and it kind of gives that fair leverage to everybody. Uh, number two, then got to give a unique name. You can't just call it like Canis familiaris because that's already taken. You have to try and give it something else that connects to its genus and species. Uh, it has to be described based on one that you found. So you can't just assume it's out there. You have to have a specimen, living or dead, to kind of describe with. And that goes to number four. You need to have descriptive statements about its attributes and discuss why it fits into the categories you say it does. Let's say you think you found a new mushroom. You have to tell why it is a mushroom and why it's not just a weird funky plant. Uh, number five, you got to publish your work as a permanent scientific document and get it peer reviewed. Once all that is done, 
maybe it'll be considered into the group because these are the basics. Most people, when they put all that work in, they're going to put in everything from what it looks like with pictures to where they found it, its chemical composition, its behavior, uh, how it behaves in night or daytime. Uh, thanks to the digital age, this is a lot easier. But back in the day, you had to draw it. And that could be a nightmare for some people. Now, when new information comes in, what we think of as concrete might not be so. This is science. It's science is not an absolute. It is fluid, and it's the discovery of the truth. Science didn't lie to you when it changed. It just picked up new information that updated it. This leads people to believe that science can lead them down all the time, and what if it's wrong the next time? That's a terrible way of looking at things, and please don't do that. But if you want a good example of it, look at giraffes. Giraffes used to be an all-inclusive one species, but about five or six years ago, it was split up into four species due to genetic analysis, finding them to be too different to be considered one species. There are also subspecies within those species, and again, that's another hole we're going down. There's a lot of debate into whether the subspecies should be considered with the main species, should there be subspecies at all. It's a whole thing. It goes into deeper conservation and economic stuff as well. Blah, 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 blah. The point is... When you figure out, oh, wait a minute, this thing can do that, oh, or this thing is closer genetically to subject C instead of subject B, okay, so let's go ahead and move things around. Or maybe you find out that an entire group of plants that you found don't even fit in the group at all and kind of need to be split up. That's a really complicated science to get into. But you listen to me ramble for about 10 minutes about the science, so let's just go into the Pokemon. Uh, in Gen 2 and Gen 6, we got new typings, and those new typings were Steel and Dark in Gen 2, and then Gen 6, we got Fairy types. Now, in both cases, older Pokemon got to pick up some newer typings, so it wasn't just new Pokemon that were found. In Gen 2, Magnemite picked up the Steel typing, and in Gen 6, you had a bunch of either normal types completely shed off their normal typing and go full Fairy, or you had things like Routes and Gardevoir, who just kind of got the Fairy part tacked onto them. Uh, Fairy was a game changer. For those of you who are a bit younger, you might not remember when Fairy dropped, it blew our minds and it completely annihilated some of the meta. But when it came out, we almost forgot the fact that Gen 2 and 6 also like blew our minds that we could have new typings and we had the dark typings come out. In Pokemon, there are only a few ways to truly categorize any of the Pokemon we have. The most common is, well, types. So we don't have a kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species for the Pokemon. We just have types and uh, egg groups. And Pokemon with the same typing being lumped together, even though they have other typings added, I'll be honest, really stupid. It's a terrible way to organize your Pokemon. So uh, let me give you an example. Imagine that if instead of a comprehensive list of organisms, I just talked about, you know, everything that lives in water is a group. Everything that lives in the water is a water type. The fish, the crabs the whales, the sponges, the trout, everything in that group, well, there's a water type. Why? Well, they live in water and they do watery things. What if everything with claws was in the group? What if everything with wings was in the group? If this was the real method of doing things biologically, this is some nonsense. There's no way this would work. Types in Pokemon, like, it's really weird because how would you even describe a type if you find a new Pokemon? It's based on attack moves, strengths, weaknesses, individual talents that it possesses like for example if it breeds fire it's weak to water and it's strong against grass 
then it's a fire type. Okay, fair enough. But if it lives in water, not affected by electricity, spits mud, and can't go near grass, it, it's a water ground type. How much testing do you have to do on each Pokemon to find out what exact typing you're labeling it with? Because that could be extensive. That could take forever. My God. That's the BCE levels of thinking. The typing works great from a game mechanic, but from a scientific standpoint, it's poop. There's no way that would actually work because it's just too broad. Now, the other way you can group them is the egg group, and that one works a lot better because the definition of a species is one organism that is able to breed with others of its kind and make new offspring. So it already fills that requirement, but then again, it's also not specific enough. Need I remind you all of Waylord and Skitty? Waylord and Skitty may both be mammals, but they couldn't be farther apart. Imagine trying to tell me that a mouse could mate with an elephant because they're just mammals. There has to be another way to tell them apart. There's just, there's got to be a better way than what they're giving us here. I mean, we could totally add a new grouping method, but it's so difficult to think of one. I, uh, one comment on Twitter meant that, oh, it's very easy. Just divide the Pokemon up to the ones that can do math and the ones that can't. And I thought that was pretty good. That, that's how you get the psychic types. But I was thinking something along the lines of dentition. Um, if you could use their skeletal structure, that could be helpful. If they don't have a skeleton, you can kind of work the way in that group. Or within every egg group, there's uh, group categories they can fit into. So uh, let's say, for example, one of the water groups, if you have something with bones, then it's in, oh, you're in this the water one breeding group, but you're in the bone group, and you don't have bones, and you're in the not bone group. That could make it a little bit easier to categorize them. You could also come up with like a very specific structure on where they fit in on that tree of like, oh, this is the one with bones. This is also the one that tends to live by the shoreline. You could get more and more detailed to each one, but it gets more and more complicated with each generation because they could often find that new discovery and they could be a new typing. And on that note, I, I want to talk about what if there is a new type because honestly, a lot of people bring up, oh, well, what if we get a new type the next generation? And some people bring this up every generation. I'll be honest as a gamer, we don't need any new types. We don't need them. It's unnecessary. Relax. We don't. We just don't. It would just make things more complicated. And I'm still really salty about fairy types because they took down my boy Pangoro. And that is inexcusable. I feel so... up. Pangoro looked so cool, and they introduced him in the same generation as fairy type, and the fairy types chewed him up and spat him out, and I'm just, I'm just crushed. Anywho, uh, if we're finding a new type or like a new phylogenetic group in our world, uh, it's actually pretty cool because usually it happens one or two ways. Either we discover new details and information about a group in a selective way, like like the giraffes, or we go somewhere completely new to us, like a cave, and break down a hole, and we find them usually somewhere that no one's ever been. So caves, deep dark trenches, deep hidden parts of the rainforests, those places can have new species. And if they have enough of them that are just completely separate and undescribable from others, then you could get new groups. Maybe you won't get an entirely new phyla, because remember, the phylas are animal, plant, fungus, and a bit of a cheat code. If you don't know what it is, a lot of people put it in protista. That's usually where like the, the island of misfit toys of organisms goes. I'm sure someone is typing furiously in the comments of whatever review. Like, no, no, that's not true. That's a, it's true for a lot of them. Not all, but yeah, protists are weird. 
Anywho, for Pokemon, let's say that um, Sound Type becomes a thing. Obviously, things like Xbot and its line would be the first to get that typing of the older ones, and that could be explained by new observations and weaknesses and strengths. Remember, in the Pokemon world, not everybody's a Pokemon trainer. Not everyone has an Xbot. You might have the one guy who studied them and put it, oh, I'm a 10-year-old looking at Pokemon. This is a new one. Eh, probably a normal type like its younger selves. What if it evolved into a sound type instead of being a normal type and most people didn't catch it until later and then it was updated? That could be a thing. Pretty odd to have, but could be a thing for a lot of these. Uh, the rest, if you found a bunch of new Pokemon that were all sound type, uh, for sound specifically, they could all have been found in the deep dark cave. If you really think about it, that's really the only place something like a sound type could be found completely hidden from the world. They are hiding in this dark cave where there's no light. So the sound is the only way they can find their way around with echolocation. I got to thinking, would Zubat be considered like a sound type if they ever got it? Like, would it just be poison sound or would they add the, the dreaded third typing, which would just, oh, my head, my head, thinking about that hurts. Uh, in any case, whenever there is an added new type, it's always just a game mechanic. If you look too deep into it, it's just not going to bode well. It's a game for kids, but at the same time, it's really fun to talk about how important categorizing these organisms can be and just how tricky it can be. It's a lot of hard work. Taxonomy, not glamorous. It's mostly Excel sheets and writing papers. It is tedious office work mixed with animals and critters you've never heard of and no one ever will. The only fun part about it you get to kind of name the organism you want, but even then there are rules about it because you can't name it after yourself because too many rich old white dudes from the England decided to do that, and that was a whole mess. Uh, it's an interesting profession, and if you would like to know more, go ahead and look up taxonomy and see what it takes because it is a very important field. It, it's just not for me. Categorizing Pokemon into groups could be done way better, though. Again, it's a kid game. For now, I'll work with the egg groups. If you're going to put Pokemon in groups, the egg groups is literally the best one at the moment because if you are a species, it means you can breed with each other and Skitty and Waylord can breed with each other. So that works. Uh, again, it's weird. It's crazy. But I'm sure someone has put together some kind of list and it's on Tumblr. But I'm not going down that hole. Tumblr is terrifying. I don't care how many sensors they slapped on that thing. Tumblr is still just not, not safe. And again, I'm on Twitter all the time. I don't know why I'm so worried about Tumblr. Anywho, before I wrap up, I want to give a shout out to Fletcher, our new patron. I want to thank him so much for coming out and donating to us and helping us out with our podcast. Remember, you guys keep us going. The more you guys listen, the more you help us out. We are so grateful. We have conventions coming up at the end of April. We have further conventions coming down at a month after that. We're working on Dragon Con. Fingers crossed I can get to that. But if I can't, I'm still going to try and be there. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll keep you guys updated on the news. Again, we appreciate everything you guys do listening to us. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace! Peace.